I want to uh, encourage you, go ahead and put the slide on the screen, as we're talking about uh, living larger. I love this verse, Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Isn't that a great, simple verse? Have you noticed in the kingdom of God, if you want your heart to get enlarged, it's always attached with some giving of ourselves. In other words, if you're a stingy person, if you're selfish, if all you care about is you, if it's about your life, your blessing, your comforts, you, 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 your money, your house, your whatever, people like that get ingrown upon themselves and they die very small people. People, on the other hand, they give their lives away and they love. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about loving people, giving your life away. Jesus said if you'll give your life away, you'll actually find life. Isn't that amazing? So people that take what God's given and they live with an open hand are people that God can funnel all kinds of blessings through. And people that don't live that way, people that are stingy, people that live like this are people that, that are not able to release and are not able to bless, and consequently they live small lives. So I want to encourage us as we're moving into this year, let's really be committed to loving well, living well, giving well, get rid of our small ideas of giving that our, our capacity needs to enlarge, all right? I'm going to lay out a quick fact here, and then we're going to receive the offering. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about this tonight. But here's a, here's a composite of our giving at Living Stones, all right? 50% of you, so if I went down the road, uh, road here and I said, you know, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, et cetera, all the way through, and I said, all the ones, which would be 50% of y'all, are responsible, ready for this, for 97% of the income at Living Stones. All the twos, or the person next to you, is part of 50% that's responsible for 3%. So what's happening here is we have an incredibly, let me just say that 50% that's responsible for the 97% is off the charts high. Like Living Stones off the charts. Like what that's saying is there is a huge group of you who are so invested, not just tiny invested, like all invested. But then there's another group of you that I'm encouraging, come on, jump in, get some skin in the game, because you'll never get enlarged unless you're willing to have skin in the game, unless you're willing to give, unless you're willing to give of yourself. And I'm encouraging you, jump on board, think about what could happen this year as far as the, the ability we would have to aggressively pursue what God's calling us to do. And I'm going to share more about that tonight. Now, I was talking with Ryan Johnson this week, uh, Ryan and Becky. Um, Ryan was sharing that he was at a church one time. It was a small church, uh, maybe 150 people, something like that. Um, the weekly tithes and offerings were about $4,000 a week. Um, not a lot of money, again, to support the work of the ministry, right? $4,000 a week. The pastor said this. He said, look, I'm not asking everybody to tithe. All I'm asking you is on one particular Sunday, let's say like four weeks from now, I want everybody in this room, just for one Sunday, to give a tithe. Do you know that on that Sunday, the offering for that week was $54,000? The point is, we are doing the most important work on the planet. We have the most important mission on the planet. And we are the least funded entity on the planet because a teeny tiny percent of most churches are the people that are involved in actually funding the work of the ministry. Uh, so I just want to encourage you this year, dream with me. What would happen if the other 50% just got minimally invested, uh, just got you know to where they raised the bar a little bit and said, I'm going to start being more invested? What would happen potentially to what we could accomplish next year? I'm telling you, it'd be crazy. 
to go from 4,000 to 50, 54,000 um, just by people obeying God, just by people being invested. So I really want to challenge you in a nice pastoral loving way, all right, um, that this is how God enlarges us. This is how God blesses us. This is how God grows us. This is how God does his work is through people being involved and invested. So, guys, let's go ahead and prepare. I want to pray right now for our tithes and offerings. I want to introduce you to someone very special this morning. Father, as we get ready to give, it's like we're a bunch of farmers standing out at a field that's barren, and we're getting ready to throw seed into the ground. And, Lord, we sow the seed because you've told us that giving is like sowing seed. And when we sow seed, you said 30, 60, and 100-fold, you return back to us. So, Lord, with that powerful imagery in mind that's from you, we just set our eyes now on the, on the open fields, the fields that are ripe unto harvest, and we pray that you bless us now as we give and multiply the seed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One last thing, I've got to brag on you guys. Everybody remember, um, I guess it was last Friday, we had our Pakistani folks in town, remember that? And we, and we, did, a, uh, we did a spontaneous offering, and I love this, low-key, we had offering baskets right where the baby diapers are on the stage, all right, low-key, and... Uh, we just said, hey, this is good soil. If God, if God touches your heart, let's sow into this. You ready for this? We gave right, and I'm, I'm rounding off, but we gave right in the neighborhood of $7,000 on a spontaneous offering with about 150 people. Isn't that awesome? And uh, I saw people up there with their wallets out, you know, emptying it out, which is usually what happens when I go on the mission field. By the time I come home, I got an empty wallet because I've given everything away. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that's how God blesses us. You just keep giving, you keep sowing. So I want to thank you guys for your amazing uh, generosity. Also, here's what I want to do today. I, I've invited a very special guest of ours, a very special friend, uh, to come up here. Little did he know he would leave warm and wonderful Alabama uh, to bring his body up here and to uh, walk through northwest Indiana as the temperatures were dipping yesterday and the wind was increasing but Gary, Dr. Gary Enfinger is somebody who uh, I've, I've really grown to appreciate and love as our friendship has grown over the years. Uh, he's the one that came over a year and a half ago and literally helped walk us through the process of, of how in the world do we raise resources to do what we believe God's called us to do. And you all know we raised um, over $1.7 million in pledges uh, as a result of their leadership at Impact. And, and here's what I love about Gary. You know, you guys know how we roll here. We're not high gloss, we don't manipulate, we're, we're, not, uh, we're, we're, we're down to earth, we're authentic, we just lay out the need, we tell you what it is, and then we trust God to speak to your heart. Well, when I first met Gary, the thing I loved about him is he was the same DNA as we are. He's been a pastor in local church for nearly 30 years. Every Sunday he continues to minister from the pulpit. And the reason I love working with men like that is it's not a business for them, and it's not a job for them, and it's not about money for them. It's about helping us achieve the goals God's put in our heart, loving the church, loving God's mission, loving God's people, and really, truly having a heart desire to help us succeed. So I asked him to come here today, knowing what I'm getting ready to do tonight as far as some vision sharing with you. Uh, and I asked him to come today simply to cast some vision about putting away our small giving so we can live larger. So hop to your feet, give him a warm Yankee welcome to the Northwest Indiana. Love you, my friend. Thank you guys so much. I tell you, I love your church and I love your pastor. I'm going to talk for just a moment before I get into the word just so you can get acclimated to my Alabama accent. I thought about bringing a translator or an interpreter. Uh, 
and I may be a very unique individual that you, that you may have never seen before. I'm a very humiliated and humble Alabama Crimson Tide fan. And uh, you, may, you may have never seen that before. <laughs> I, uh, but I do. I love your church. I love your pastor. It's always been such a blessing uh, every time I have an opportunity to fellowship with him. We do have a kindred spirit. Um, and, it's, and I tell you, it's a real treat for me to come back and see the fruit of the work that we've been involved in, and what a beautiful uh, children's area and common space and gathering space. And I tell you, God's going to use that in, a, in, in ways that you can't even imagine in the days to come, and he already is. And so it's exciting to see, you know, to see the fruit of that. And I appreciate so much the honor that your pastor has given me to share with you. Now, for some of you, this is a surprise. Uh, you came expecting to hear Brother Ron this morning. And um, I uh, don't want to be a disappointment, but at the same time, I realize the, this man is an incredible communicator. I love to hear him preach, and I've heard him I tune in sometime to the podcast. And uh, what a great communicator he is. So today, I'm the fill-in, and it is what it is. But it reminds me of a story I heard about a church down in Alabama where there was a, uh, a, a man who was preaching in the church. He is a guest preacher, and he noticed that there was a window in the auditorium that had a hole in it, and someone had just stuck an old rag in that hole and uh, just, you know, to fill it up. And so this man, he was a guest preacher. He was filling in, and he says, you know, today I feel a little bit like that rag in the hole in that window. He said, I'm just filling in. You know, he said that window pane's broke, and somebody put a rag in the in the hole of that window pane, and, and it's just filling in, and I'm just filling in. Well, he went ahead and preached, and after he got through preaching, somebody came up to him, and he said, Preacher, he said, uh, you're not like that rag stuck in that window pane. He said, you're a real pain. <laughs> <He's> a <laughs> so, well, I don't want to be a real pain today, but I do have a word I want to share with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to look in Mark chapter 2 for our Bible study this morning. And by the way, I have been so blessed today by your worship band and your praise team. You guys are so blessed to have such a wonderful uh, music ministry here. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly through the town. Soon the house where he was staying, was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat right down in front of Jesus and seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my sons, my son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to themselves, what? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? And I just want to so go, duh, who do you think is doing this? 
And Jesus, it says in verse seven, uh, verse 8, knew what they were discerning among themselves. So he said to them, why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, go on home, because you are healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then they all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, they exclaimed. In Alabama, we would have said, we ain't never seen nothing like that before. <laughs> I, uh, I want to share with you some thoughts about this incredible story in the New Testament. I started to give this sermon the title, The Man Who Came on a Cot and Left on a Trot. Uh, but here was this paralyzed man who met Jesus, and his life was radically changed. And that's the way it ought to be. Whenever a person's encountered Jesus, he's in the life-changing business. He gives, he, you know, Jesus, he gives life to our years and years to our life. I've never heard anybody say, I sure am sorry I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> it's the greatest decision that you can ever make. And this man, his life was changed after he encountered the Lord Jesus. He was a radically different man. Now, he was paralyzed and these men took, uh, took him to Jesus. They had to tear a hole in someone's roof and let him down. You know, as I look at this story, I want to share with you uh, just some things. There are four main characters in this story uh, or, or groups of people in this story. Obviously, you have uh, who I will call the healer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who can heal physically and spiritually, and he did both for this man. He is the healer, the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another person in this story, another main character in this story. And uh, it's, it's really a, uh, a man that is described as paralyzed. I'll call him helpless. He, he, there's a man that seems to be helpless. We don't know why he was paralyzed. He, he may have been paralyzed from birth. It may have been from an injury. It could have been an accident in his childhood or something. We don't know. But apparently, this man was totally helpless. Somebody apparently had to feed him. They had to clothe him. They had to do for him what he could not do for himself because he, he was paralyzed. And, and in between uh, this helpless man and the healer, there are two other groups of people. Of course, there's the four men who brought the man to Jesus, and we'll talk about them in a moment. But, but there were hinderers. In other words, the Bible says there was a crowd of people that had gathered around the house where Jesus was to the extent that they could not get this man to Jesus without being incredibly creative. And then, of course, there were the helpers, the four men that brought that man to Jesus. Let's talk for just a moment about the helpless man. You know, the helpless man, 
The Bible says that he was unable to care for himself. He was unable to transport himself, obviously, because somebody had to carry him. But to me, this story embodies a perfect illustration of every lost person who's come to Jesus. Did you know before you were saved, and most of us here this morning are believers, and before we gave our hearts and lives to Jesus, we were helpless. You understand that. We were helpless to save ourselves. We did not do one thing to earn or merit our salvation. We, we were helpless to, to provide grace and mercy that all of us experienced. You know, the Bible uses some very stark words to describe the condition of the lost person, of the non-believer, the person who does not have a relationship with Jesus. It uses words like, well, it uses words like darkness. It says men love darkness because their deeds are evil, that they live, the, the non-believer lives in darkness, spiritual darkness. Spiritual blindness. It uses words like death. The Bible says concerning a person who is not a Christian is dead in trespasses and sin. Did you know everybody in this room who's a believer in the Lord Jesus has been made alive? That's the reason we ought to celebrate when we worship, right? I mean, that gives us reason. I love your church, and I love the, the, the joy and the worship and that, that I sense and I feel here. You know, I go to some churches, and they think they're being dignified, and the truth is they're just dead. And I've never understood why we can go to football games and yell like Comanche Indians and come to church and sit like wooden Indians. You ever notice that? And I think there ought to be, you know, Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you that my joy might, might, might remain in you, might be in you and remain in you. And I go to some churches and I travel all over the country and, and I just, I love the fellowship of this church and I love the, the conviviality and the spontaneity and the joy that I sense here. I go to some churches and everybody looks like the picture on their driver's license. <laughs> yeah, like they just swallowed the communion table, you know. And, uh, but, but man, there's, there's laughter and there's love and there's joy here. And that's, and, and that's because we're, we're people who were dead and have been given life. We were people who were living in darkness and have seen the light. The Bible uses the word death to describe the condition of a non-believer. That's pretty helpless. The Bible uses the word darkness. And the Bible uses the word lost to describe the condition of a non-believer. You ever been lost before? You know, it's panic. You panic when you're lost. It's a scary time to be lost. I heard about a couple of congressmen, and I'll let you decide which party they were affiliated with. <laughs> but they were out hunting one day. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you never want to couple with being lost, and that's ignorance. You, you never want to put those two together because then when you're lost, you're in trouble. If you're ignorant and lost, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, but these, <laughs> these two guys were out hunting one day. Now, we hunt in, down in Alabama a lot, and, and, uh, and those that are used to the outdoors, they, they know that if you're ever lost in the wilderness or if you're ever lost in the woods or outdoors, that if, that if you uh, fire three shots, if you shoot three times, that's a warning. That's, that lets other people know. That's a warning sign. So somebody hears three shots in a row, they're going to come and look for you. And uh, so anyway, these two guys were out hunting, and they got lost. And one of them said to the other, he said, you know, I heard that if, that if we shot three times, that that was a warning, and maybe somebody will come look for us and find us. And so, and so they did. They, they shot three times, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and nobody came. 
So after a few, a little while later, they, they said, well, let's try it again. So they shot three more times, and nobody came. So finally, one of the congressmen said to the other, he said, let's try it again. And his friend said, well, I hope this time works because we only have three arrows left. It's dangerous to be lost. It's more dangerous to be lost than ignorant. But the Bible says that this man was helpless. Now, in between the helpless man and the healer, there are these two other categories of persons. Uh, you, You have those people that we call the hinderers. Now, church, these people, to as far as I know when I read this story, they were not doing anything bad. I don't think they were being nefarious or malicious. I don't believe they were really evil in their intent. They, they were not, as far as we know, this crowd of people that had so crowded into that house and outside and blocked the doors and blocked the windows, they were not doing anything bad. They just were not doing anything good. They were just sort of in the way. And I call them the hinders. I mean, they had heard, they wanted to see. But then you, you, you have this, these other four men that we call helpers. The four men that brought this man, this helpless man, to the healer were helpers. I would suggest that everyone in this room probably fits into one of two categories. Did you know in the kingdom of God, in the work that God's called us to as a church and as believers, we are either hinderers or we're helpers? Now listen, you don't have to be really evil or nefarious, as I said, or or, or mean-spirited to be a hinderer. It just, if you're not helping, you could be a hinderer. Now, you say, well, Gary, that just seems like a pretty strong dichotomy. I mean, is that the only two options that we have? You know, if, if, we, if I were just to ask you to be honest before God and say, God, am I a helper or am I a hinderer? It seems to me that Jesus often drew that line. Did Jesus not say things like, I would that you be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. To me, that that just seems like one or the other. You're either a helper or you're a hinderer. Did Jesus not teach us that either you are gathering unto him, he said, either you're gathering unto me, or you're scattering abroad. In other words, you're either gathering. I mean, Jesus said that, right? He says you're either gathering or you're scattering. There's another place in the New Testament where Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Doesn't that sort of sound like he's saying we're either a helper or a hinderer? Now, let's talk for a moment about the helpers. These four men, 
they're amazing to me. I, I see four things that characterize these men that brought this man to Jesus. And I believe that if we're going to be the church, if you want to be the church, that God is going to put his favor upon and bless, I believe these four things must characterize this church. Any helpers involved in getting the helpless to the healer. Number one, these four men were cooperative. In other words, they worked together. It, it, apparently, the man's condition was such that it took four men to get him to Jesus, and they all had to work together in order to see that happen. There was a spirit of cooperation. You know, as I study the Bible, and, and, and even as I travel around and help churches and work with churches, I've noticed that there is a direct correlation between the health of a church, the strength of a church, the power of a church, and the unity of that church. There is a correlation likewise between the disunity of a church and the ineffectiveness, the weakness of that church. You show me a church that is characterized by little petty things where people get their feelings hurt and they're sensitive and they backbite and they gossip and they're negative and you show me a church like that and there's disunity, I'll show you a church that is making absolutely no impact in its community for the cause of Christ. Uh, you show me a church where people love each other and where there's just a, you know, there's, we understand that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, but we love each other anyway, and there's a sense of unity and cooperation, and we work together. I'll show you a church that is making an impact on its community. There is a correlation between the unity and harmony. And I appreciate the fact that your pastor guards the unity as the under-shepherd of this church. He guards the unity of this church, and he should. It is amazing to me how people can be so negative sometimes in our churches. I call it stinking thinking. And I heard about a guy. Yeah, I, I, heard about, I heard about this church where there was this man. Um, and he was just negative. He was against anything and everything that came up in that church. And uh, they were going to vote. That You know, this is one of these churches had a lot of business meeting. Thank God you probably don't, but this church did. And, and so it's a chance for everybody to come and express what they, anyway. It's, they were going to vote in this business meeting on a chandelier. They were going to put a new chandelier in their sanctuary. And this man stood up. He was always negative. He was always against everything. He stood up and he said, I'm against that. He said, I'm against that for three reasons. He says, number one, can't nobody spell it. He said, number two, can't nobody play one even if we had one. And he said, number three, what we need around here are some lights. I mean, some people, some people don't even know why they're against things. They're just against it. Honestly, in Alabama, on the back roads of Alabama, there is a church called Harmony Baptist Church. Just a few miles down the road, there's another church called New Harmony Baptist Church. I just wonder what happened to the Harmony. These four men, listen, if you want to be a helper and get in the helpless to the healer, there must be a spirit of cooperation. 
But not only should there be a spirit, not only do I see in these men a spirit of cooperation, I see a spirit of compassion. They cared about this man. They, they, they had a desire to help this man. I do not know how to preach compassion into the hearts of people. I really don't. I wish I did. It's just something you either have or you don't. And if you don't, ask God to give it to you. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And maybe if you were to start looking at the helpless in your community through the eyes of God, or maybe if you were to look at them from the perspective of how you were before Jesus changed your life, it would start building into your heart compassion to want to help the helpless, to see them through the eyes of the Lord, and to realize that if it were not for the grace of God, you know, I look at lost people and I'm thinking, you know, I think if God can save me, if God can do something for me, he can help you, you know. And, and just having that compassion. But there's a third thing that characterized these men, not only a spirit of cooperation, not only a spirit of compassion, but these four men, I believe, were convinced. I don't believe they would have risked the embarrassment of tearing a hole in somebody's roof and doing everything they did if they were not absolutely convinced that Jesus could help this helpless man. And, and I tell you, that will motivate you. When, you. when you know your Lord can do a work in people's hearts, that will motivate you to be a part of what he's wanting to do through you, in you, and for you. Now, just use your imagination with me for just a moment. I, I know this, this, you know, this probably isn't exactly um, how it happened, but, but can we just imagine together for just a moment? Let's imagine that this paralyzed man, this helpless man, let's just imagine that his name was John. John was a good New Testament name, so we'll call him John. And I want you to think with me about these four people, these four men that came to help him get to Jesus. I can imagine one of these men come to John, and he says to John, John, I heard Jesus was in town. And John, I sure would like to take you to Jesus because I believe Jesus can help you in, in your condition. I believe he can do that. And by the way, John, you do remember me, don't you? John, I'm the guy that used to have the old withered arm, and it was deformed and drawn, and, and I couldn't use it. But John, I want you to look at it now, how strong and healthy it is. You know how it got that way, John? I met Jesus, and Jesus restored my arm. And if he did that for me, John, I just believe he can, he can help you. And I can imagine old John saying, you know, I appreciate your concern. Thank you for coming. But that's just your arm. I'm paralyzed all over. Jesus can't help me. About that time, a second man comes in. And he says, John, I am so excited. He says, listen, he says, you, you, you remember me. He said, you, you used to hear my cane tapping down the sidewalk whenever I'd walk by your door because, John, I was blind. I mean, I could not even, I could not see anything. But, John, I want you to know I met Jesus the other day, and Jesus touched my eyes, and he made them whole. And, John, I can see now. Jesus gave me sight, and if he can give sight to the blind, I know he can help you. Let me and my buddy here take you to Jesus. I can imagine John saying, you know, I really thank you guys, but that was just your eyes. 
I'm paralyzed all over. And I can imagine a third man coming into the room there where John's lying on his cot. And I can imagine this man saying, Oh, John, listen, you got to let us take you to Jesus because let me tell you, 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 I know you hadn't seen or heard from me in a few few months, but, but the reason is a few months ago, all of a sudden I looked at my hand and I had these white spots. And, and those, those spots began to cover my body. And, and John, I, 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 had, I got leprosy. And John, you know, I, I had to go live in a leper colony. And anytime anybody got close, we had to cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away. But John, just the other day, a man started walking towards us. And we began to cry out, unclean, stay back. But he just kept walking. The closer he got, I recognized he was Jesus of Nazareth. The one who it was said was the Son of God. And the only thing I knew to do was to kneel at his feet. And John, he put his hand on my head. And it was the first time I had felt the warmth of a human touch in weeks. And he said, be thou clean. And John, immediately I looked and I was clean. I was healed. I was well. I went home to my family that I hadn't seen. And they were at first afraid because they thought maybe I still had the disease. But I told them, I said, you don't have to worry. You've got a new daddy. You've got a new husband. And that's the way it is when you meet Jesus, right? Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And John, if Jesus can heal me, I, I, I know he can heal you. Let us take you to Jesus. And I can imagine old John looking at him and saying, you know what? I'm so thankful you guys, you know, want to help me. But the truth of the matter is, that was just a disease. I'm paralyzed all over. Jesus can't heal me. And about that time, there was a knock at the door. John's eyes got as big as saucers. And when the man walked in, John said, Lazarus? Is that you? And Lazarus said, Yes, John, it's me. John said, I heard you were dead. And Lazarus says, that's right, John, I was, but I met Jesus. And if he can raise a man from the dead, he can raise a man from the bed. Come on, boys, let's take John to Jesus. Those men were convinced that if they could get him to Jesus, that Jesus could change his life. Not only was there cooperation, not only was there compassion, Not only were they convinced, but I'm going to close with this. I believe the fourth characteristic that characterized these four men that ought to characterize every one of us, if we're going to be helpers, they must. These men were committed. You say, Gary, committed to what? Well, I don't believe that Jesus would have told this story if those four men did not have integrity. I believe they had principle. I believe they had character. I believe they had integrity. 
they tore a hole in somebody else's roof. I just don't believe Jesus would have told this story if they left that hole in somebody else's roof. I believe when they were digging that hole to let this man down to the foot of Jesus because they couldn't get in any other way, I believe they said to one another, guys, we're going to have to pay for this. You know, it just takes money to do the Lord's work sometimes. And I travel around the country and I teach people about stewardship. I'm not trying to get from people. I'm trying to give to people. It's like Pastor Ron was saying a while ago. You go through life with your fists balled up in stinginess. And it's that way when it comes to receiving. But when you're generous with an open hand, that hand is open to receive from the Lord. And these guys, they were so committed. Here's the thing. They were so committed that I believe their attitude was whatever it cost. Whatever it takes. We want to get John to Jesus and we're willing to pay the price. And did you know whenever you made a commitment to I-54 and you give your offerings and you give to your budget and whenever you, and I do the same thing at my church. Whenever we give, we're not just giving to parking lots and to common areas and gathering places, children's buildings, preschool buildings, sanctuaries, and all the different things that it takes God's people and God's resources and God's money that he's provided to see to fruition. Folks, we're talking about living larger. It's more than all that. It's more than just the brick and mortar. You know what it is that we're giving for and giving to, at least in my heart? It's, I'm giving to help the helpless get to the healer. The the things that takes our money to support and to invest in and to pay for, those are just resources and tools. The ultimate goal for every church is getting the helpless to the healer. Amen? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? That's what living larger is about, seeing the big picture, seeing the investment that you're making, not just in buildings, but in souls that are impacted by the ministry of this church. This church is a lighthouse in this community, unlike any other. That's why you're here. God has a particular purpose and ministry and mission for this church. And, 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 it's, got, and it's full of helpers. And praise God for you. I saw, listen... I saw guys out early this morning when I came. You know, it's funny. Here you are. I can't believe you have this crowd. I told my wife, I don't think anybody's going to come. It was snowing. It was in the, t- the wind chill was below zero. It was, it was freezing. And this room is filled with people. In Alabama, we had to shut down school, church, and everything else for two or three weeks. And that would be just in anticipation before it even happened. (laughs) Y'all are tough. There are guys out there shoveling ice and shoveling snow. I mean, the parking lot was full of several, several young men out there getting the sidewalk clean and the parking lot clean. They wasn't just shoveling snow. You know what they were doing? They're getting, they're getting the helpless to the healer. 
That's what it's all about. Every word we say, every song we sing, every message we preach, everything we do, and every dollar we give, we're either a hinderer or we're a helper. 50% given 97%. That was an incredible number. I didn't hear it until this morning. And the other 50%, and it's not, listen, my daddy used to tell me it's not the amount on the check that gets God's attention, it's the balance on the stub. Now, those of you that live in the world of ATM cards don't even get that, but some of you do. (laughs) And we all recognize that the person in our churches that give two or three or five dollars a week, in the eyes of the Lord, they may be giving more than somebody that gives a hundred. But everybody can give something, and everybody can sacrifice, and everybody can be a part, and everybody can make a commitment of some nature that represents a sacrifice for you. I I would not want to be a hinderer in the area of stewardship. I want my life to be characterized by being a helper and just getting the helpless to the healer. Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Great word. You know, I, I, uh, I shared with Gary this morning, I want to do it in front of you all as well, because it's important for you to hear it, uh, just how appreciative I was for his heart and for his heart, uh, the way he helped walk us through and continues to provide, you know, just loving counsel. And he told me, he goes, Pastor, I listened to your podcast, and he said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, you're kind of like uh, the new, new kid on the block, and I'm kind of like old school, you know, Baptist preacher. I'm not sure how your people are going to like it. I said, trust me, they will love it. Wasn't that just so, I mean, yeah. I, uh, I said, I love your heart. I love your tenderness. I love your illustrations. I love the way you share what you share. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Isn't it good? And I hope you know. I know that it's really good to get lots of voices coming through here so that uh, we appreciate one another in the body of Christ. Amen. And Gary, we just thank you for your voice. Thanks for your faithfulness over the years. You have helped so many churches uh, achieve God's vision for their, for their ministries, and that's, that's, what, that's who you are. That's what you do, and you did it so well for us, and we're just from the bottom of our heart. Thank you, because here we are. We're sitting in, in the dream fulfilled, at least in this phase, and, um, and we're indebted uh, to you. So thank you so much, very much. Can we just honor him one more time? Thank you, Gary. Yeah.